Welcome everybody to today's podcast where we are trialing out a brand new feature called the Medics Money Clinic. Now, the Medics Money Clinic is a chance for you, our loyal podcast listeners, to write in to us with your financial problems and we will get one of our expert advisors to run through your scenario uh, and tell you a few pointers so that you can help to improve your finances. So if you want to appear on this super new feature, we're going to try and run it as often as we can. The best way to do it is to bleep us. That's right. That is the noise of the Medics Money bleep going off. And if you want to bleep us and come on the podcast, then the best way to do that is to contact us via our website. There's a contact us section on there. Or you can send us an email to team at medicsmoney.co.uk. Now, I totally understand that you might not want all of your financial information read out and you might even want to go anonymous. And that is absolutely fine. But if you want to come on the podcast live, uh, that is also totally possible. And obviously, a degree of anonymity is possible. So let's get into today's episode. And don't forget, if you want to come on, bleep us. Welcome to the Medics Money Podcast. My name is Dr. Tommy Perkins, and I'm a GP. And my name is Dr. Ed Cantelow, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and a chartered tax advisor. And yes, you did hear that right. Not only is Ed a doctor, he's also a chartered accountant and a tax advisor. Medics Money empowers doctors and other professionals like you to make better financial decisions. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast, where we are trialing a brand new feature called the Medics Money Clinic. So just like when you see a patient in clinic, we are going to see one of the Medics Money listeners and diagnose their financial problems. And I'm delighted to be joined for this first episode of the Medics Money Financial Clinic by Guy Roper. Guy, do you want to give yourself an intro? Morning, Tommy. Nice to, to chat to you again. Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm Guy Roper. I am the owner of Sunrise IFA and uh, at Sunrise we work almost exclusively with doctor clients. Um, so I've worked with medics for for many years now um, and I set up Sunrise uh, to provide independent advice to the medical community. Uh, I'm a chartered financial planner and uh, yes, I'd like to think I really know my stuff when it comes to doctors uh, issues. Awesome. And um, like doctors, um, financial advisors have a bewildering array of postnomial qualifications. So do you want to just, you said that you are a chartered financial planner. Do you want to explain what that means? I mean, in terms of uh, medics, am I seeing the junior doctor in clinic here or am I seeing the registrar or am I seeing the consultant? So uh, Chartered Financial Planner is the uh, it's the highest level of qualification that an advisor can achieve. It's the gold standard for advice. So I guess you can think of it at uh, the consultant level. Um, I'm, I'm also a fellow of the Personal Finance Society. Um, and yeah, that is that's the top level of qualification that uh, can be achieved from the PFS. Awesome. Um, consultant clinics uh, always run super late. So this is an <laughs> exception to that rule because uh, so far we're running on time. OK, um, I thought it would be useful as well this is the scenario that we're talking about is from a real medics money um uh, scenario who've contacted us via email and if you want us to do your scenario then just email us at team at medicsmoney.co.uk and you can feature on the podcast um but uh, so we're going to talk about a lot today but guy do you want to just read out your standard disclaimer because uh, although this is a real scenario this is just for information only right Yes, uh, so I'm really looking forward to hearing what uh, what the, your your doctor has come in with. Um, but uh, the information that I give will just be that information. Uh, nothing that I'm about to say should be considered as personal advice. You should always seek advice about your own circumstances uh, before making any decisions. 
Awesome. Good to get that out of the way. Uh, right. In true um, patient style, I know that I said we were just going to bring one uh, patient into your clinic this morning, but I got two. Um, so hopefully that's okay because patients do that to us all the time. Just one more problem, doctor. Um, so we have Alex, uh, who is a GP, age 35, and Alex works six sessions in a salaried doctor role, uh, plus some out-of-hours work, uh, which goes via a separate company. And doing that, um, Alex makes about £60,000 per annum. Uh, now, Alex is married to George, and George is an ST6 who is age 34, and George works full-time in the local hospital and is hoping to become a consultant in the next couple of years and George's income is around £65,000 per annum. George and Alex bought a house together last year and they don't have any children. Um, Alex has income protection which was taken out in the first year of working as a doctor after a lunchtime presentation from a well-known insurance company. Um, okay, we can speculate who that might be. Uh, George has no income protection. Uh, are you keeping up? Is this too fast? Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm noting it all down. Thank you. Yep, this is what patients do. They just rifle through a history uh, in a random kind of way, and we have to dissect out what's relevant. Uh, so, yeah, George has no income protection. Alex got some from a well-known insurance company after first year of uh, being a doctor. They have no other insurance in place for either of them. Um, they've recently stretched themselves a bit to buy a home together, and they've been working on improving that home. Uh, generally, they have some spare money each month, and they wonder what to do with that money. Um, neither of them want to work to 68, which I assume that these guys are in the 2015 section of the NHS pension, so uh, their retirement age is tied to state retirement age. So like me, they are going to be retiring at 68 uh, for now. Um, and their objectives, what they want out of this consultation today, is they want security now. They just want a general health check, a sense check of their finances and planning for the future. So, Interesting. Yeah, thank you. Um, anything else? Uh, that's all I've got, uh, actually. Lovely. But Lovely. I think there's okay. quite a few. I'm excited to see where you take this one because there's quite a lot to, to go through there. Yeah, definitely. There are some things in that that I would say are quite uh, typical of the, the sort of client profile that they're presenting. Um, there's definitely some things that immediately jump out as, as things that I would um, look to discuss and look to take forwards. Um, and there's also inevitably quite a lot of questions as well. So um, this is very typical in that the clients have painted a scenario of where they're at um, and it would always makes sense to ask more questions about where they're at um, specifically and then where, where they're looking to get to. So what I would say is that um, in a discussion, the first thing I'd look to do is understand their plans and objectives more deeply. Um, so they've spoken about buying a home. They've spoken about home renovation costs and, and plans and such like. Um, how are those getting on? Uh, do they have further things that they want to spend money on? Do they have further costs coming up? Um, when, when do they think the, the end is in sight with that? Um, and then what else is, is on their agenda for the next couple of years? So they're at the age bracket now when they might be starting to think about having a family. Um, and that's something that might come out of their um, a discussion about their objectives as well. Clearly, that's going to be very significant for anyone's finances. Um, they've spoken a bit about their career developments and their plans. Um, I've been interested to know whether, um, whether Alex is considering stepping up to become a partner in the GP practice or is, is happy doing a... a um, a salaried role, uh, whether Alex plans to take on any additional sort of ancillary GP work, because of course the nice thing about GPs is they can be very flexible over how they work and who they work for and that sort of thing. 
Um, so yes, and I'd also like to understand George's specialism and whether um, there's the potential for private work, um, whether that's something that appeals to George, etc. So yeah, lots of um, lots of questions about their their plans for the next few years, and then of course anything else of financial significance. Um, do they have any big costs coming up? Are they going to replace a car? Are they going to you know, go on a, a big expensive trip or anything like that? Now, something that I always do with all clients, um, no matter what grade they're at, no matter what stage of their life they're at, is have a thorough look at their expenditure. So what I'd ask Alex and George is to complete details of what they spend money on on a monthly basis. Um, and this is always really interesting. It's one of the favorite parts of my job, actually, um, because then I get to look in detail at what they're spending money on um, and how they run their finances. And I would say that a lot of doctors will say to me, oh, we're really not very good at this. We really don't understand that that's that's rarely the case. Usually people have, have made some good financial decisions with regards to their spending. And usually there are things I can suggest that can make things better as well. So a thorough look at expenditure is really important. Um, and I would, would always say that expenditure is something that it's, it's not something that I look to beat people up over. So, you know, it, it's normal to have money and to spend it on things that you like and that, that make your life um, comfortable and, and happy and that sort of thing. In fact, that's really important. Um, so when we go through expenditure, you know, sure, if you've got a, um, you know, a Netflix and an Amazon Prime subscription, um, if you're spending money on things that aren't you know, absolutely crucial for your day to day life, but they're important to you, hobbies and interests and whatever, then that's a good thing. It's, it's really important to um, to get value for for the money that you receive. Um, but yeah, having a thorough look at expenditure is uh, a good thing to do and making sure that expenditure is sensible and proportionate, that there's nothing that you're spending money on that could be wasteful. Um, I'm a particularly, particularly against bank charges, Tommy. So um, if someone's paying regular bank charges because they're regularly going overdrawn or they're making um, use of credit facilities that they don't need, then that's something that I'd always, um, always pick up on that sort of thing. Yeah, okay. I'd that's, also, that's, sorry, what? no, you go. Um, I was also say, I'd also look at their cash position. So what they've told me is that they uh, generally have spare money, but also that they've been working on home improvements and, and stretch themselves to buy a home. And, and those two things always seem slightly at odds. So I'd look to understand their cash position. Um, how much do they have in savings at the moment? One of the first principles of good financial planning is to have a suitable emergency fund in place. I tend to think an emergency fund should be at least three months worth of expenditure. So what's their expenditure? Um, and then how much cash do they have available? Making sure that in the first instance, they've got three months worth of expenditure, sat in cash, ready if they need it. Um, and then it, looking at anything that they have beyond that, um, from the profile, it doesn't seem like they're going to have significant amounts beyond that uh, with the recent home purchase, with the money they've been spending on it. Um, but yes, it's, it's always good to understand what someone's cash position is. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, super interesting. A few things uh, I just wanted to ask uh, on behalf of George and Alex. Um, so <clears throat> you're talking about what are their plans for the future? Um, and, and that was all uh, good questions. But why is that important when you're trying to make a financial plan to know that is George's income going to go up? Is Alex going to become a GP partner, for example? Uh, because understanding what where someone's trying to head towards means that you can build a plan that gives them the flexibility to get there so um if they're expecting uh, significant costs in a year or two for example so so if they said if, if alex said actually my, my my car's on its last legs um i i don't think it's going to be economically viable to keep it going so i'm going to need to replace it in the next year or two then i'd ask how much uh they were looking to spend on a new car and then i would make sure that that was factored into their plan 
So that's a reason to need more cash available for, for that purchase. Um, or if they're going to buy it on some sort of monthly payment PCP type deal, then we need to factor that into the expenditure as well so that we don't commit money to, to something else that actually they're going to need for that purpose. So it's absolutely crucial to understand not just where they're at at the moment, but what's on the visible horizon as well. Um, and of course, there are always unexpected things. You can't plan for everything, but you can you could, can and should plan for what is known. Awesome. Yeah, I think um, so. But what we're saying is that we are or you are making Alex and George a long term sustainable plan here. So you need some guidance on their um, future oh, yeah. plans. So, um, yeah, um, maybe we should include that for the next uh, clinic or maybe Alex and George would like to come on live and we can do it live. Um, the other thing I just wanted to pick up on quickly, something super interesting that you said, um, if uh, you said about emergency fund um, mm. now, a lot of doctors might not know what an emergency fund is and occasionally when I mention emergency fund doctors write into me and say look I'm a well-paid doctor I've got a credit card with nothing on it and a 10 grand limit um, that's my emergency fund so do you want to tell us what an emergency fund is and should could you just use a credit card instead um, okay so an emergency fund is money that you can put your hands on immediately if you need it um, so an emergency fund should be held in cash and it should be immediately accessible cash whether that sits in your current account or whether it sits in your savings account that that um, is available with no access, it doesn't really matter. So if you're an emergency fund, find the best best account you can, uh, given that all accounts will be pretty poor at present. Um, but yes, it's money that's there if you need it. Um, and I think this year has shown people why an emergency fund is important. So there are plenty of people out there um, who this year, because of, of COVID, because of lockdown, have found a significant change to their finances that they could do nothing about, um, including some doctors. So um, some doctors working as locum GPs um, would have felt really comfortable last year that they were going to have security of income, that there'd always be work available to them. COVID comes along, practices change their work, um, and suddenly locums are finding that, that the work isn't available in the way that they thought it was before. Um, so if someone said that to me, well-played doctor, employed by the NHS, what can possibly go wrong? Um, what I would say is that you know, the future is uncertain um, and that being able to put your hands on money that's immediately accessible is really important. Now, you talk about credit facilities and a credit card. Well, a credit card is probably available if you need it, but there are scenarios when um, credit card facilities might be, be removed from people or perhaps more practically, where it would be actually really dangerous to run up lots of debts. So imagine a situation where the well-paid secure income doctor, for whatever reason, is no longer going to have secure income, is no longer going to be well-paid. The last thing they should do in that situation is run up lots of debt. Um, having an emergency fund, having money available is much better than having credit facilities to fall back on. Awesome. Okay, thanks for clearing that up. And, um, you know, if you're in a super secure NHS contract position and thinking that the doctors struggling to get work sounds a bit far fetched. Um, as Guy said, locum GPs uh, in particular have um, been affected, but also anybody who has any private income, private practice is almost shut down for the pandemic. Um, and so those are people that never thought that the income would shut down and it has. So, yeah. Um, the other thing that you mentioned, I just wanted to pick up on, uh, I think you touched on it, is um, the efficiency of savings. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah. So um, it's, it's very normal these days for, for doctors with spare income to start saving it. Um, and, and often the first place they look to is, is either a savings account or a cash ISA. Um, but as I think many people know, savings accounts and cash ISAs at the moment pay a really poor rate of interest. You'll be lucky if you get 1% per annum. Um, often it can be rather less than that. Um, now, 
the rate of inflation in this country at the moment, the rate of things which get more expensive each and every year, um, tends to be more than 1%. I think at the moment it's about 1% actually, but, but more traditionally sort of 15 to 2% is normal. So if things are getting more expensive at the rate of 2% a year and the money that you save is only earning you 1% a year, then the money that you save is losing money in real terms. You know, your, your savings are getting less valuable even as you try to build them up. Um, and so for that reason, uh, savings are not very efficient. Uh, and that causes lots of people to think are the better things that I can do. Yeah, I, I think that could be a bit of a bombshell for a lot of people just to, to reiterate what you're saying that because of inflation, if you hold a significant amount of money in cash, the value of it is effectively being eroded by inflation. So that the value of that money in terms of spending power is going down if you just leave it in the bank. Is that right? Absolutely, yes. And so when I come across doctors who have built up significant cash savings, then we will often talk about what those savings are for and is there a way that they can be uh, put to work so that they can perhaps grow in excess of inflation um, up until the point that they're needed. Cool. And I think we're going to talk about that in a minute. But um, mm. so we've done um, their plans and objectives, had a good look at their expenditure and uh, they're doubled up with Netflix and Amazon Prime, which might be understandable at the moment because uh, heading into what looks like another lockdown, Amazon Prime and Netflix might be the uh, go to for the winter. Um, we looked at their cash position. The other thing that kind of stuck out was about uh, protection. So just to remind you, Alex has no income protection. Oh, sorry, Alex has income protection taken out in the first year of working as a doctor after a lunchtime presentation from a well-known insurance company. Yes. And George has no income protection. Uh, what do you think about protection, Guy? Okay, so I remember they said that they'd stretch themselves to buy their home. Um, and so that probably means that both Alex and George's income are both important to their plans. They probably need both of their incomes for uh, paying their mortgage and their bills at the moment and, and for whatever life, um, whatever they want from life moving forward. So I would say the fact that George has no income protection is the, the jumps out as being the biggest potential risk that they face. Um, so I would certainly look to talk to George about whether income protection um, or whether income protection is possible. I'd like to understand the state of health they're in at the moment, whether they undertake any extreme sports or anything that might be considered uh, particularly risky because those sorts of things can affect insurance applications. Uh, but yes, George most likely needs to protect uh, their income. That's really important. Um, and then Alex has income protection already um, taken out from a well-known insurance company. Um, I'd like to understand what that income protection contract provided and what it was costing. So first thing to say is, is Alex was a much more junior doctor at the point that this was taken out. Has the contract kept pace with the changes to Alex's career? Uh, is it is it suitable for, for uh, where Alex is at at the moment? And um, yes, is it is it still right? Um, and then, of course, is it is it costing the right amount of money? So often insurance companies that do presentations to doctors during during lunchtimes, uh, will have a very limited range of options available. They might only have one income protection policy and they'll say, this is our income protection policy. This is what you need. But I'm an independent advisor. I can recommend any insurance policy in the marketplace. So looking at what Alex already has and then working out whether there is something that is more suitable, more cost effective from all the many different insurance companies that provide income protection could be a really good thing to do. Um, it's quite possible that Alex is spending more uh, than is necessary on income protection and or uh, that the policy isn't you know, isn't as good as it could be. So reviewing that would be a really sensible thing to do. 
Yeah, and that's super interesting. So uh, the cliche is there's no such thing as a free lunch. So that presentation um, from the free lunch might be a very expensive free lunch. I mean, you touched on something very gently there, but um, just tell me about the difference. You said that you're independent, so you can get a, in a protection policy from anywhere on the market. Tell me about the sort of two different types and why that is relevant, very relevant yeah. in this scenario. So, so there are effectively two different types of financial advisor. There are independent advisors and restricted advisors. And restricted advisors can only advise on a limited range of, of products. So uh, they might only have one income protection policy that they can, I'm going to say sell, because that's all it is really. It's not, not advice in that context. Is This is our income protection policy. This is what you need. But it comes uh, with a free lunch at medical school, guys. So, <laughs> you know, it, it must, and, and sometimes even a free pen, yeah? Um, there's no free lunches on Medics Money, but we only recommend independent uh, financial advisors, it has to be said. So you're yeah. not going to get a free lunch from Medics Money. But uh, yeah, tell us about this uh, I mean, difference. To be, honest, to be honest, when I come across someone who's got an in income protection policy sold by one of these uh, restricted advisors, then my, my general view is it's probably better than nothing. But in 90% of the time, at least, I can find something in the entire marketplace that is better, is more suitable. So um, why, why, wouldn't, why wouldn't you want to speak to an independent advisor who can source anything? Um, yes, as I've kind of alluded to there, an independent advisor like myself can look at any available income protection policy in the entire marketplace um, and make the very best recommendation. And so yeah, it, it's, it's clearly better to have independent advice um, as opposed to restricted advice. Awesome. Good to clear that up. And like I said, there's no free lunches with Medics Money. We don't even have any free pens, but we only uh, uh, deal with independent financial advisors. Okay, so protection sounds um, super important. I mean, one, one more question. Thing for me, if I can, if I yeah, can please do. Yeah. Um, so we've spoken about the income protection side of things. But the other thing I would say with Alex and George is um, so they're married um, and therefore they are they kind of have obligations to each other. Um, so the question would be, you know, what what would happen if either of them were to die? Um, would the other be able to um, to, to survive, to cope, to, to meet their obligations, etc.? Um, now, it's worth commenting that the NHS pension scheme provides some level of death and service benefits. Um, they're both active in the pension scheme. So we'll talk about those, what would they would get in those circumstances, um, and then whether that's enough. Um, now, they say that they have stretched themselves to buy their property. So I'm imagining that they borrowed quite a lot of money um, and the death and service benefits, uh, the lump sum benefits are two times pensionable earnings. So in the region of, of £120,000, um, if either of them were to die, something of that order. Um, so, yes, understanding whether that's enough or whether there's a greater need for insurance would be really important. Um, they said one of their objectives, I think, was security now. So, um, yes, looking at what would happen in those what if scenarios is really important to me. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's a kind of thing where having a specialist advisor that deals with doctors um, obviously knows all about the ins and outs of the pension, uh, NHS pension and the death and service benefits. So, um, yeah, so two times lumps, uh, two times annual salary is a lump sum if either of them dies. So, yeah, uh, two times about uh, earnings. Yeah, sorry. So, two times. Um, yeah, George, George is an ST6 um, yep. and therefore not all of George's earnings will necessarily be pensionable. Um, so George was earning 60, uh, around 65,000, I think, but um, yep. not all of that will necessarily be pensionable. So understanding that would be important. But yeah, two times pensionable earnings. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Two times pension earnings. Ignore what I said. Just listen to Guy. Um, okay. So we talked about their protection. Um, where, where would you take it next for um, Alex and George? So uh, let's consider then that they're, uh, they have a, 
income exceeding expenditure, they have a suitable emergency fund in place, and they're suitably protected for now. Well, what they've said is that they generally have surplus money each month. Um, and I've talked about what that money is for. So if it's for something in the very short term, um, the, the, the new car scenario that I put forward, then actually holding that money in cash uh, is probably the right thing to do. But if it's something for sort of medium long term, something with no defined objective around it, um, if it's for you know, saving for a more comfortable future, then there's probably a very good discussion to be had about whether they could get better returns on their, their savings. Um, and that's where the investment side of things comes in. Um, so it is possible to invest your money in a way that it can grow in excess of inflation. Um, there are many different ways to do that, many different investments that you can invest in. Um, and I talked to Alex and George about the merits of, of, of making investments, uh, about the, the different levels of risk that they might um, what, what their views on risk are and the different uh, levels of risk and potential returns and, and potential losses as, as well um, and see if we can work out the uh, the, the right way forward. Um, now, some people have this perception that you can only invest if you've got a big, great big lump sum sat waiting for investments. And Alex and George, from the profile they presented, they probably don't have many tens of thousands of pounds sat just waiting to find a suitable home. Um, but they do have spare money each month and saving out of regular income is a perfectly viable way to go about it. I have lots of clients who will save regularly each month, uh, you know, perhaps a couple of hundred pounds or, or more um, you know, on a regular basis over the medium to long term. That can actually build up a substantial amount of money. You know, I, I once spoke to a client who had been saving a couple of hundred pounds a month over the course of much of her career. Um, you know, for about 15, 20 years or so, if I remember rightly. Um, and she'd saved up couple, uh, more than £100,000 um, just from regularly saving, not even thinking about it. And then one day, suddenly there it is. So, yeah, regular saving is really powerful and can be a really good thing to do. And from Alex and George's profile, that could be the sort of thing that would suit them. Yeah. And um, I guess it's important to stress that if you regularly save and just put it in the bank, given what you said earlier, um, inflation is going to erode that value. So investing it um, to get a greater return um, is, is presumably pretty key to that. Is that is that a fair statement? Yes, um, there are lots of circumstances in which investment uh, really makes sense and, and yeah, is, is the right thing to do. Um, so, you know, I, I said it's about understanding their situation, their objectives, their views on risk, their, their timescale, etc. But in a lot of cases, yes, investment will be uh, the right step. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, we're in the world of COVID where face to face uh, is now longer, no, not longer really viable. Is this something that you could do? I mean, we're recording this uh, clinic over Zoom. Uh, could you see Alex and George over Zoom or other co video conferencing platform of choice? Is that realistic? Definitely, yes. Um, yes, I've, I've worked with quite a few doctors recently that way um, and done exactly that. So we have our initial meeting over Zoom. Um, and we talk about all the things we've spoken about um, over a, a Zoom meeting, lasts about an hour to an hour and a half, something like that. Um, and then I will assemble my advice uh, and email it electronically with encryption, of course, um, yep. for their perusal. And then we'll get together for a second virtual meeting and, and complete the virtual forms. So, yes, absolutely. Awesome. So uh, that's that's good to know. OK, um, now. <laughs> Uh, they left a kind of, uh, the, they saved the best till last, which is definitely <laughs> what patients do to us. They're, we've been through all of their history, we got a diagnosis, and then they say, just one more thing, doctor, and you're already running late, and the next patient's beating down the door or something like that. That's just how clinic works, and I'm sure all the doctors listening to this can sympathize with that. Uh, but Alex and George, the last thing they said is that they, it's quite a short sentence, they don't want to work till 68. So, <laughs> one last thing, yeah. guy, just quickly before we go, they don't uh -huh. want to work till 68. 
And if I had a pound for every time a doctor had told me that, then I'd be very wealthy. Yes, um, very, very common to, to look at the, the new pension scheme, the 2015 section with that retirement age of state pension age um, and think, my goodness, there's no way I could work to that age. Um, so then we'd have a conversation about how they might achieve that. Now, Alex and George are a good 30 years away from retirement. Um, even if they don't work to 68, they're a good 30 years away from retirement. So it's it's difficult to put in a precise plan, but there are things that they can think about. Um, one of the things that's really poorly understood with the NHS pension scheme is something called ERBO, which stands for Early Retirement Reduction Buyout. It's an option within the scheme itself to pay more in exchange for an earlier retirement age. There's more to it than that, and I talk about the details with Alex and George, but um, but that's an option that exists, um, and that's something that they may want to make use of. Um, there are other things as well, um, other ways in which you can build up options and flexibility for being able to retire earlier than 68. Um, so yes, and my experience of clients of this profile is that that's going to be a discussion that's quite conceptual because it's really difficult at the stage of life they're at to, to visualize what retirement is actually going to be like. Um, but uh, but yes, there are there are a number of things that they could do now to start working towards that objective. Yeah, um, I guess it's a good thing that Alex and George have realized uh, that, as you said, in the 2015 scheme, your retirement age is pegged to state retirement age. So I've been a doctor Correct. 12 years now. And when I first joined the, the scheme, my, my retirement age was 65. It's already gone up to 68 um, because I'm in the state uh, in the 2015 section. So Alex and George have realized that quite early because if the government put state retirement age up again, then if you're in the 2015 section, your NHS uh, retirement age goes up in line with that. Is that correct? Uh, that's all spot on, yes. But there are some other things to, to factor in as well. So um, Alex and George probably both have membership in the 2008 section as well as the 2015 section. I'm, I'm guessing from, from their ages that they, uh, when they first joined the NHS, they joined the 2008 section. So they'll, they'll have some membership in the earlier section, and that is available at 65 um, and remains so. Um, and then, of course, the stuff happening at the moment with uh, potential further changes to the NHS pension scheme um, that could affect their earlier service could mean that they end up with slightly more in the earlier pension and less in the later one. Um, so, yeah, th there's lots to discuss with the NHS pension, uh, probably probably more than we could go into detail here. Um, the final thing I will say with the NHS pension scheme, though, is that um, I have a, a really good understanding of, of how it works and things to look out for. And with all of my doctor clients, I will recommend that they get hold of a total reward statement, which is a summary of the benefits that they've built up. And then we'll have a look at that to make sure that what they have matches what they think it should be. Um, Alex and George might have spent time overseas, for example, so um, or they might have spent time working part time. Um, so those sort of things can impact the pension that they built up. But by having a look at their total reward statement, I'll be able to talk to them about what they've accumulated, what their service has been to date, um, what pension, what pension they have, <coughs> excuse me, what pension they have coming to them, and is that right based on the service that they've uh, accrued so far? And then we can keep an eye on that as an ongoing basis as well. That's a really good thing for doctors to do: get your total reward statement, see what it tells you, um, and make sure that the pension that you're building up is as it should be. Awesome. Uh, thanks for that, Guy. Um, I can hear that your voice is failing because you've been talking so long in clinic. And that is something that, again, all doctors will uh, 
We'll relate to. Uh, you've got to keep a glass of water close by in clinic at all times, and um, mm. sometimes even fill it up from the sink in the clinic room, which is always feels a bit risky, but sometimes <laughs> you're just so thirsty. Uh, okay, that was really really helpful. Um, any any parting things that you know um, we should sort of summarise for Alex and George? Um, so I think uh, the final thing to say, perhaps on the investment front, is that we spoke about the potential for, for regular investing, um, and that might be something that suits them. Uh, one of the things that my company specializes in, one of the reasons I created my company, was because uh, I'm really interested in ethical, responsible investing. Many of my clients are, are too. Um, so I would like to talk to Alex and George about whether they have any preferences in that regard. Um, and uh, yes, if, if they're interested in the idea of investing in a way that gives them better returns, but also is good for, for the planet, for society, then that's definitely something that we can accommodate. Yeah, awesome. And I know we've done a really interesting podcast on that. And you've got a couple of um, blog articles on Alex Money as well. So if you're interested mm -hmm. in that, um, definitely check out those other resources that we have. Okay, great. Thanks so much for uh, running this first clinic, Guy. Uh, that, I think that was really helpful. Um, so uh, over to you guys, the listeners. If you've got a scenario uh, similar to this and you want to come on the podcast into the Medics Money's clinic, uh, then just contact us, team at medicsmoney.co.uk, or you can use the contact us form um via our website we're also on twitter and facebook so you can find us there um just tell us your details and we can make it as anonymous as you wish uh, or if you really want you can just come on live and we'll just have a chat live uh, over zoom and hopefully that was super helpful thanks so much for your time today guy i'll leave you to it um and see you all guys on the next podcast episode thanks so much for listening guys